And uh, those of you who have been paying close attention might remember that uh, Mike started the sermon a couple of weeks ago with a story about Abraham Lincoln. And uh, I have no explanation or excuse for that, except Abraham Lincoln must have been studying 1 Corinthians, and he knew his 1 Corinthians really well, and so there's lots of stories about him that illustrate things from 1 Corinthians. So um, this story took place when Lincoln was a lawyer before he got into politics. He had a meeting with a man who wanted Lincoln's firm to represent him in a lawsuit. And uh, it dealt with a uh, real estate transaction, and there was an error in surveying the land. And so when the uh, transaction had happened some years ago, uh, there was a a problem with the the way it worked. And uh, a widow and her children were living on the land at this time, and this man came and he believed that they owed him some money. And, uh, and as the man finished explaining the details of the case to Lincoln, this is what the future president responded. He said, yes, we can doubtless gain your case for you. We can set a whole neighborhood at loggerheads. We can distress a widowed mother and her six fatherless children and thereby get for you $600 to which you seem to have a legal claim, but which rightfully belongs, it appears to me, as much to the woman and her children as it does to you. You must remember, however, that some things legally right are not morally right. We shall not take your case, but we will give you a little advice for which we will charge you nothing. You seem to be a sprightly, energetic man. We would advise you to try your hand at making $600 in some other way. So Lincoln states clearly one of the main principles of our text today Uh, You must remember that some things legally right are not morally right. And there are times when the right thing to do is just to let go to what we are entitled to by rights. So let's let's pray and then we'll read through our section from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would... uh, Be with us now. May your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts and our minds. May we think clearly about the things of your word. May we have wisdom and humility from the Spirit to understand uh, how these things apply to our lives. And I pray that, that, uh, that you would give us the courage to do them. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 1, it says, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do not ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits means that you have been Uh, completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. 
Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now we know that uh, Paul was the founder of this church in Corinth and that he uh, was writing this letter to address some of the news that he had heard about things that had happened there uh, while he had been away starting churches in other cities. And this section of the letter deals with a particular situation that Paul is not at all happy about. That is that there are disputes between the members of the church. Now that by itself, it's not really a good thing, but disputes, so that's a natural thing, it's normal, um, and, and it, when disputes are handled correctly, they don't really have to be a big problem. But here in Corinth, they have a big problem. Members of the church are so bad at resolving their conflicts that they end up suing each other in court. And notice that the thing that Paul is upset most about here is that these Christians are going to the secular courts to settle their disputes rather than bringing their disagreements to other Christians to settle. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? You see, God has given wisdom for judgment to various members of the church And it is better for us to solve our issues between believers in front of other believers rather than in front of the secular authorities. Now, the text doesn't really spell out in so many words exactly why it is better that we uh, settle things internally, but there's two reasons that are strongly implied. First of all, it just looks really bad, and Paul's very concerned about that. What kind of a witness is it to those who don't yet believe in Jesus if Christians are squabbling and fighting with each other. Jesus said that there would be a sign that would show outsiders who his people were. He said the sign would be this. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. When unbelievers look at us, the striking feature that they should see in the Christian community should be the love that we have for each other. Taking each other to court is a pretty good way to show that you do not actually love each other. How we get along with each other is supposed to be something that proves that the love of God is in us and attracts people to come and hear the gospel. This behavior in Corinth was instead showing that the church was no different than anyone else. The second reason that this was a bad idea to settle disputes in courts was that to do so was to put your trust in where to find real wisdom in the wisdom of the world rather than in the wisdom of God. The question of where you go to find a fair and just settlement for your dispute is a strong indicator of where you really believe that wisdom is to be found. 
the Corinthians were going to people who are described in verse 4 as those whose way of life is scorned in the church. That is to say, they have a very different worldview than we do. They, they have a different idea about right and wrong. And it's, it's not just different. They have flawed ideas about right and wrong and about what's good behavior and bad behavior and justice and injustice. Why would we go to them for wise decisions rather than going to spirit-filled Christians who have the wisdom from God? Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? It's in the Christian community that true wisdom is to be found, and we need to trust God and His wisdom rather than uh, trusting the secular authorities. And we need to follow uh, the, the pattern of handling our disagreements according to the directives that are laid out in the Bible. So, how exactly is that supposed to work? We don't really have uh, Christian courts where we can register a complaint and bring a case and have lawyers and courtrooms and judges and all those things. So, so how is it, what are we really talking about here? Um, one of the most important parts of the Bible that deals with this question is from the teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. And here's what it says. We're going to uh, be on that for a little while, so you might want to turn there. It's going to be on the slide too, though. Matthew, chapter 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector." So this is a three-step process here for dealing with problems um, between yourself and a fellow Christian. And this can be applied more broadly to issues of sin generally, but this process is especially needed when someone sins in a way that creates a grievance between you and them. And so step one is to complain to your friends about the person and how they've hurt you. Now, that's generally what step one really is, but step one, according to the Bible, uh, is to talk to the person one-on-one. And uh, that isn't really an amazingly insightful bit of rare wisdom. This is really something that is a very well-known and well-accepted truth about how to handle conflicts. Um, It's a very widely known and accepted principle of conflict resolution, but despite the fact that is such a well-known and accepted best way to handle these things, we so often don't do it. Because it's so awkward, right? It's so confrontational. It's so hard. And that's true. It really is. Um, But it is the best way to deal with almost every situation of this kind. If you go and talk to the person and you aren't able to bring the issue to a resolution, that's when you go to step two, which is to bring another person or two into the situation and get them involved. Now, I want to say something um, that uh, may be a little controversial, but that's okay. Uh, what I, I believe this can be very helpful in a lot of situations. And that is that I think that there are circumstances where it's okay to skip step one and go straight into step two. 
Um, I came to believe this after uh, an experience that I had some time ago where there was a person who uh, I had offended them without even uh, knowing what I had done, but I had, I had really uh, hurt this person. And, uh, and I, had fin- I had offended them more than once. And they had this grievance against me, um, but they never came to me and talked about it. And it was only uh, much later that this finally came out, after a long time of their having had bad feelings toward me. Now, why didn't this person come to me sooner and tell me about it so that we could resolve the issue? Um, Well, the thing is, that would have been a very hard thing for them to have done. And it was because of the personalities involved. This person, uh, because of some things, uh, mainly because of things that had happened in their past, they just didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And me, um, I don't know, one of the things I've learned about myself is that uh, some people find me kind of intimidating. And so, uh, I don't know, I think I'm a nice guy, but... (laughs) Anyway, when I found out that this person had had a problem with me, I was really not that surprised that they never came and talked to me one-on-one. Because that just really wasn't going to happen. The interpersonal dynamics between the two of us and the two personalities, it was just not a situation where it was a reasonable and fair expectation for them to come and confront me one-on-one. Now, we could be hardliners, and we could say, well, Jesus said, you have to first go one-on-one, and so you just need to put on your big boy pants and go and confront them. But uh, I just don't think that it is reasonable or a fair expectation in every circumstance. I don't think that Jesus is insisting that this progression must always be followed in such a rigid way. There are circumstances where it is permissible to bring someone with you, uh, even on the first approach when you talk to somebody who has offended you. And I think that uh, doing that rather than waiting is a much better way to resolve the issue. But what we do need to avoid in every circumstance, and the real uh, problem is when we start talking to another person about how someone has offended you, Uh, without the intention that the two of you are now going to go and talk to that person. Uh, It's not okay to just talk to other people about it, and then the two or three of you now all have a grudge against the other person. Um, It's also not okay to just sit and stew about it and to hold a grudge because you're afraid to, uh, to, 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 to confront the person and to talk to them. Uh, Get a friend to support you if you need to, but you can't let relationships remain broken and the conflict remain unresolved. So, in most cases, you have step one to talk to them one-on-one. And if that conversation doesn't bring the issue to resolution, uh, maybe they disagree about what happened or they think that it was you who were in the wrong or, or they were right or whatever the reason is, you're not able to solve the problem. Then you bring in uh, other people into the situation. And the purpose there of bringing in other people is not uh, so that you can now gang up on this guy uh, and, uh, and, and all be you know, two-on-one or three-on-one. The purpose is uh, that you now have an arbiter who can hear both sides of the story and can listen to everybody and can help you come to a uh, decision about what was the right thing to do in this situation. 
And uh, sometimes uh, it's uh, what Jesus describes here uh, that the, oh, hold on, sorry. Sometimes when we have uh, one or two others involved, that still isn't enough to resolve the issue. Uh, one side isn't convinced that thing was decided correctly, and so sometimes it's, uh, it's what Jesus describes here where he says, uh, the one who is sinning refuses to listen. But uh, that's when you have to take it to step three, and you have to tell the church. And uh, when it says to take the issue to the church, that doesn't mean that uh, we argue the case here on Sunday morning and everybody serves as a giant jury and uh, when you take it to the church, it means to go to a, a, a group of official church leaders in a more formal setting, and you have a real hearing in which both sides are heard, and the, and the wisdom of God is brought by uh, those people from the church, and they bring that to the situation and help you decide how to resolve the thing. And then that's when, once the church has given its decision, we need to be humble and submit to their decision and admit our mistakes, ask for forgiveness if we need to. We need to apologize to those who've wronged and do what is necessary to make things right. And uh, if we're unwilling to do that and we refuse to listen even then, then you're in rebellion against the wisdom of God as applied to your situation by the people of God. And Jesus says, for the church to treat such people as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, this is a situation that calls for the kind of church discipline that Mike talked about last week. The person should be expelled from the church in the hope that this will help them to come to their senses and change their ways. So this is the procedure that Paul expects the church members at Corinth to follow to resolve their disputes. If you have a problem with someone, you talk to them about it. If the two of you aren't able to work it out, uh, then you ask someone else to help the two of you come to a resolution. If that still doesn't work, then you bring it to a formal hearing in front of a group of leaders of the church so that the wisdom of God can be brought to bear on your situation. And then you submit to the decision of the church. But this is not what was happening in Corinth. They were not relying on the wisdom of God uh, in the church to solve their problems. They were trusting in the wisdom of secular judges. And the Bible says no. You are not, uh, you are looking for wisdom in the wrong place. But then comes verse 7, which brings out a whole other problem with the situation in Corinth. It says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have already been completely defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? See, there are not winners and losers when Christians bring each other to court. There are only losers. Why not allow yourself to be wronged and cheated rather than taking your fellow Christian to court? It almost sounds like what the Bible is saying is that it would be better to allow your own rights to be violated than to fight with other Christians in court. But is that really what it's saying? Yes, that's really what it's saying. <laughs> but where would Paul get an idea, a crazy idea like that? Well, he got it from Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, uh, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is really not a bad system. Um, this practice is, uh, it results in justice being done because it both, it prevents someone from being able to poke out your eye with no consequences and it, uh, it prevents uh, aggressive retribution. And so with, with eye for eye and tooth for tooth, we have, about, we have justice, fair treatment for everyone and everyone's rights being respected. But Jesus tells us that is not the model of life that his followers are to follow. We should instead turn the other cheek. Or as Paul puts it here in 1 Corinthians, why not rather be wronged? When is it the right thing to do to turn the other cheek or to let yourself be wronged? Because it's not in every situation, right? Because we just got talk, done talking about all these procedures for uh, solving, uh, resolving disputes and, and difficulties, right? So sometimes the right thing to do is to bring in a mediator and to, to, uh, to, to settle the argument. Um, so how do we know uh, which is... Uh, which is the right thing to do? There are, there are times when the right thing to do is to pursue the matter and to seek mediation and do what it takes to bring healing to the relationship. But there are also times when the right thing to do is to turn the other cheek and allow yourself to be wronged. So let's look at a couple of verses that relate to, to one kind of situation in which you should just let yourself be wronged. The first one is from the book of Proverbs where it says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And then you have a very similar idea in the New Testament book of 1 Peter where it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So when you love someone, you sometimes say, you know, this thing is just not worth making a big deal over. How many of you know what it means in a hockey game to drop the gloves? <laughs> so in ice hockey, when players feel like their opponent is playing dirty or he's somehow uh, making them angry with the way that he's playing, then the hockey player uh, will uh, um, just, uh, uh, they'll stop playing the game and they'll have it out with their fists. And in most sports, if you throw a punch, you're out of the game. Maybe for the next couple of games, you're going to be suspended. In hockey, it's a five-minute penalty. But, um, but anyway, when two players are about to get in a fight and they're facing each other on the ice, before they actually start fighting, they will throw their hands down like this and drop their gloves onto the ice because they wear these big padded gloves and they, they want to be able to punch and grab and everything with their bare fists. And so, uh, so then the, that idea of to drop the gloves means to get ready to get in a fight. And, uh, and some hockey players are pretty patient. They give the referees an opportunity to enforce the rules and, uh, and make sure that uh, the guy that's playing dirty um, gets his, uh, his uh, penalty. Uh, and it takes a lot of provocation before they get to the point where they're ready to fight. 
But for some guys, it doesn't take much for them to, to drop the gloves. They are just so thin-skinned and so hostile that they're ready to drop the gloves and start throwing punches at the first offense. And as Christians, we need to recognize that a lot of the time, it just isn't necessary to drop the gloves. In a situation where you have the right to be offended, sometimes the right thing to do is to take a step back, get some perspective, and just allow love to cover over the offense. And when we love each other deeply, that love will cover over a multitude of sins. Remember the story of Lincoln from the beginning. You may have the legal right to sue for $600, but it might be the wrong thing to do. So show one another love, show one another forgiveness, and let small offenses go by without making it into a bigger deal than it needs to be. But the danger here is that we'll feel like, okay, so I have to turn the other cheek. I need to let myself be wronged. Um, and, and, and yet, inside, we're still holding on to that resentment, and it's tearing us up in there. Or we hold the grudge against that person that ruins our relationship. And that is not what the Bible is teaching us here. When it says turn the other cheek or let yourself be wronged, it doesn't mean, okay, just sit there and hold a grudge and don't solve the issue. When love covers over an offense, the offense is put aside, forgiven, and left behind. And if you're not able to do that in a particular situation, that is probably not a time uh, to... to, to um, Turn the other cheek, but it's a time when we need to use that process that we've just been talking about to bring your situation to a resolution. Another situation where the right thing to do is just to let yourself be wronged is when pursuing the situation is going to harm the church or the reputation of the church so much that it's just not worth it. And that's the main problem here in Corinth. These Christians were destroying the reputation of the church by fighting in court. Christians are supposed to be recognized as followers of Jesus by our love for one another, and these guys were becoming known as people who were continually dropping the gloves and having it out. So there are times when you're unable to resolve an issue in private, and it just isn't worth taking to the next level of the process. Sometimes the best thing is to say, okay, we disagree about what the right thing was in this situation, but it's better to let go of it and just... Forgive the other person than to drag a lot of people into this painful process of confrontation and seeking resolution. And again, that's assuming that the offense is one that you can forgive and move beyond without holding a grudge and carrying resentment and without the other person uh, being enabled then to continue to uh, live uh, according to a bad principle and hurting other people. But if the main issue is that your own rights have been violated and you haven't been treated fairly and you're offended, there are times when the correct thing to do is to be humble, turn the other cheek, and allow yourself to be wronged. Now, the last part of the passage this morning is to help us with perspective and humility in those kind of situations. The people in Corinth are treating each other badly, not just because 
They weren't forgiving and loving when they were offended, but they were even being, they were the cheaters and doing wrong to one another. Uh, it says here in verse uh, 8, Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. There's a lot of, a lot of theology in that section, a lot of important points that could be made. But the main idea uh, in, in, in that the Bible is making in this context is um, you are a sinful, imperfect person who has been loved and forgiven by God. Not because you were worthy of it. You were immoral, greedy, slandering idolaters. But God, in his love and mercy, forgave you. He saved you because of his love for you, and Jesus' death on the cross has paid the price for all the ways that you offended God. And Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for the offenses that your fellow Christian has committed against you, too. So, let us be loving to one another. Let us, whenever possible, cover over and forgive the wrongs that have been done to us. And let us resolve our disputes according to the biblical model with forgiveness and humility. As we close, I just want you to think, is there someone that you need to talk to? Is there someone that you fear that you may have offended that you need to apologize to? Or is there someone that you, that has offended you that you need to, to talk to? Do you need to find another person to come with you and, uh, and bring that to a resolution? Because it's not okay to just sit and hold grudges and have broken relationships. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you forgave all of our offenses. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be forgiving to know when to turn the other cheek and to know when to seek mediation to resolve our conflicts. Lord, I pray that no conflicts would remain outstanding among the people of Clearwater Church, but that we would bring resolution to all these situations. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.